Hello and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. I can't remember what episode number it is, but that doesn't matter because they're all they're all based on numbers anyway. And I'm joined by Kesa McDonald. Hello. And Miss Twit Gera, Emily Gera. Hello. Gera. Gera. Yeah. Twit Gera. 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 Sorry. Emily Gera. Thank you. Yes. Got it right. Is Emily new to the podcast? It's the first time she's been on as a guest. But it's lovely to have you here. So why don't you kick us off? What have you been playing recently? Actually, I've been playing a lot of board games. Ah. Um, I've kind of, I've taken this detour from doing basically 24-hour League of Legends, which is the best game ever created, um, <laughs> I say to the Dota player. I, I'm, a, I'm an ex-Dota player. Yeah, I, uh, I've heard. kind of... Reformed. 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 Dota, yeah. That's the word. It gets hard. I still have... Recovering. Do you have the shakes? Uh, I still have dudes knocking on the door being like, hey, yeah, you coming to play some Dota? And I'm like... No, I think they've all worked out now because it's been about a month and a half of me not playing any Dota that I'm not playing. But you still have people knocking around and be like, hey, why aren't you coming and play some Dota? And be like, I'm just not doing it right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, League of Legends is rubbish. Carry on. Fuck you. Um, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, I've, I've taken a slight detour into um, sort of real life social gaming, which is... Is a strange experience. <laughs> Years of just sitting in my living room with my dog, but no, it's it's nice. It feels sort of like going back to the eighties. Like I've been, I've been. Uh, yesterday, I played. Um, we just got a copy of this board game called uh, Dead of Winter. Oh, really? Yeah. Lucky dog. I know. We actually played that when we were out in Gen Con. Nice. And uh, we really liked it, but yeah, they kind of annoyed us. Why well, is that? No, uh, they didn't really annoy us. It was just one of those annoying things in the fact that, um, actually, if you want to know a lot about this, we did this on a recent Shut Up, Sit Down podcast, but but they were like, oh, we love your stuff, guys. I'm like, wicked, can we have a copy of Dead of Winter? They're like, why haven't you sent us one? They're like, oh, yeah, well, we haven't got enough copies to sell, so there's no point giving you one because you'll just make people want it and they won't be able to buy it. <laughs> like, who do they think they are? What amazing logic. It's just, it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, it's like, oh, damn, that means because we're, because we're like the press, it's harder to get it than it would be, I don't know, it makes it like... That's amusing. It, it, rather, and the opposite, when there's like, you can sell infinite number of games, of course. Of course, you yeah, well, press this, this is obviously the, the, the capitalism's predicated <laughs> on selling as much of everything as you can. The idea is, oh, we don't have enough. You don't want to dis- disappoint people. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Is like, <laughs> that's wonderful. They already have waiting lists because they only do print runs of like a really popular board game where they print it around like 10,000 copies. Mm-hmm. And then if they sell all of them, they'd be like, oh, maybe do another run of... 5,000? Is that too much? Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than having loads of them. I love that, though. I love that it's like, if you talk about indie gaming, I mean, this is indie gaming. You know, this is the absolute core of just guys who got together and had a damn good idea and don't really know how to market things yeah. remotely. <laughs> and even on the, the, the pretense scale of things, it's amazing because it means if you're, you can buy games that are then like out of print for like 20 years, yeah. you can be like, well, that's nice. oh yeah, I've got a copy of this. Where did you get this from? It's like gaming's equivalent of collecting vinyl records. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But the thing is, they're vinyl records you can actually play with. That is true. Um, well, vinyl records you can technically play. But Dead of Winter is really cool because it is like a bit like, um, it's a bit like Walking Dead style. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fact that you have got the kind of it's really nice in the way it basically has a, like, a nice narrative element where every time it's your turn the player before you it's part of this Crossroads series and they're making three games Crossroads and each one you take a card when it's the person in front of you's go and you read just the top bit and it'll tell you like if this and it means if, if it's like something like if this character is one of the characters that's currently in play or if this character during their turn does this like if they go to the police station 
but then you don't tell them what it says and you just put it down and then you just wait and if something happens during that turn that fits the criteria in the card you go oh 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 wait and then you stop and then you read the card and it has these like mini story events that happen and uh, it's like one of the things we have to resist temptation to read them all before you need to oh yeah because if you don't need to you can just put them back in the deck and you use it another time but some of the stories are so dark and so like no it has this fantastic like series of subplots like that and I mean, it's it's one of the things that has kind of, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's ruined normal gaming for me, <laughs> like like getting into this whole board game thing, because I find the stories that are offered in board games, um, there's much more variety uh, in terms of what you kind of fall into, mm-hmm. you know? They're flexible too, right? It's very, very flexible. Mm. And you don't you don't really find that too often. And like I you know, I spent a long time being like, I am a narrative gamer and mm. I like stories and games and I, I I love that, but I think in a lot of ways in my experience of, of, of playing like normal video games, mm-hmm. it, it just works so much better when you're in a room with other people and you can kind of just deal with it yourself. Don't worry about any kind of uh, system mechanics or anything just you know t- you know traditional video games are great but if you want a story you know yeah. you tell it between each other and the stories you know? it unfolds is, are really nice in the fact that it has that classic thing like um, as with a lot of these games I love like uh, stuff like the Resistance Avalon and Werewolf yeah. and Battlestar like it has this sort of there is a chance and there's only a 50% chance that one of the people in the game is a betrayer and it basically means that they've got an agenda which involves everybody else being killed or everyone else being screwed up, basically. But you don't tell anybody. But you don't tell anyone. It means you have this thing of, like, the whole game. You're just wondering if there's somebody, maybe, that's not helping as much as they yeah. should be. And I've never had that kind of fear, if you want to call it that. that you don't even of, know if there definitely is a betrayer, but you don't. Be. You don't know anything, really. No. It's just, you know, you know, you know how the game works. And that's it. Yeah. And you know what your role is. And that's it. But it comes out really nicely, doesn't it? Because everyone else uh, who isn't a... Even if you're not a betrayer, everyone has their own criteria for what their success is. So you're all working towards one big thing. Of like, you know, the game we play, it's like we all have to like get enough food to go and find a new colony. Go and find yeah. a new place to stay. In mine, it was you have to get enough medicine to create the antidote. Yeah. Yeah. But in addition to that, everyone also has their own side thing that they, they have to do. And if you don't do that, then you lose the game. Even if the team win, you lose. And so it means like even when you you think you might have a betrayer, like it's not like that the obvious thing in most games where it's like, well, who's the bad guy? And it being like, they're acting strange, it's them. Because everyone's acting a bit strange. Like I had this thing on the last few turns where everyone was just looking at me as to go, What are you doing? Because I just kept going off like or everyone else was trying to help people. I was like barricading up the building and it's like, we don't need more barricades. And I'm like, yes, we do. <laughs> and everyone's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And it just, it just breathes this amazing sense of paranoia. Yeah. And like I said, you don't really feel that in, in other multiplayer games. There are a lot of, um, I mean, one thing that I very much noticed when I went to Gamescom um, few weeks back was that there's this kind of resurgence of this kind of old school GM moderated style uh, cooperative game. Yeah. So you have, you know, Evolve, you have Fable. Um, it, it's this strange kind of push in this direction. 
And I mean, it's really good to see, but I think that if anything, it kind of underlines the fact that board games are this platform for innovation and it's the main platform for innovation. I would, I would argue. I think so. I, I spoke to a few people at Gamescom about that. Yeah. Um, particularly Bioware um, with Shadow Realm, which is their new four <laughs> versus one thing where one of the persons is the dungeon master, basically, and the other's not. And I just kind of asked a few people, why is this happening now? You know, it's really strange. This four versus one thing's coming up and apparently... Um, the, the Bioware chap Jeff who I talked to was like well in the 80s when we all started making games we all thought wouldn't it be cool if we could make a Dungeons and Dragons but that that was you know interactive and back then the tech you just couldn't do it you couldn't have a Dungeon Master like, there was no way you could have done it yeah. unless it was literally like BBS's which people used to use just text yeah. email each other um, so he's like well now we're thinking maybe the maybe the technology can handle it uh, I'm not convinced the technology can handle it though because you still have to have rules that like, the dungeon master can place enemies but that's not really being a dungeon master is that's it? that's the thing no it's, you it's, know, it's, it's not sh- really shaping the story or shaping what's going on it's just uh, filling in the, the gaps where the monsters should be really it's funny and it's something I talk about a lot but it seems like games are still desperately trying to catch up to the peak they reached in the late 1990s of of having these games that were mostly just text with yeah like, yeah Planescape and Fallout uh, yeah, they were just able to conjure these in, I know I'm not going to talk about them again but just, just the way they could, they could do all this stuff it's like yeah and it's, it's funny because there was that, that um, back then there was this push towards being like like pen and paper RPGs yeah. and then that kind of went away and everyone tried starting to be like movies instead and now it's coming back where it's like, maybe we should try and be like pen and paper. They're trying to do both, again. aren't they? Yeah, yeah, kind of at the same time. It's really strange. Gamescom was good this year. I thought it was a good one. I, I didn't go. And actually, there's, um, we might as well ask you this question now. Um, somebody's asking, have you, you see, have you seen Bloodborne? Oh, yes. Because yeah, I, I get so Bloodborne. many questions about Bloodborne. And I know fucking nothing about it. Oh, man, I, really I played it. That much, it, was, but it was good. Please tell me about it. Oh, um, the, so there's... Not to be a total dick about it, but Dark Souls Two wasn't quite the same. <laughs> well, it was. I thought it was, was just a bit weak. There was just something about. I, I. It was one of those games that I didn't want to say that because I mean, it, by comparison to other games, it was still amazing. But by comparison to Dark Souls, there was just something missing. And what I thought was missing from it was this Miyazaki element of dignity and majesty. There's a great quote from Miyazaki when he talks about the undead dragon in Dark Souls, and uh, one of his designers came up and uh, gave him a, a sketch of it and it was all like maggots and dripping flesh and mm-hmm. stuff and he gave it back and said it's not good enough can't you try to convey the sad dignity of a once magnificent beast condemned <laughs> to endless and possibly uh, to endless and irreversible ruin it must be a nightmare <laughs> of a boss yeah you'd be like yeah alright Miziaki I'll, I'll, uh, okay. I'll, I'll just do the um, the profound sadness of a magnificent beast doomed to endless ruin that's, so that's fine do you want more like grey coming in <laughs> yeah. or what so, grey but that, that to me is just that, that absolutely <laughs> that embodies the, the, the demons because I'm, I'm a demon souls person really I love Dark as well yeah. but Demons was was my game I loved it and uh, the thing about those enemies especially and, and the, where they just had this dignity and this majesty and in, in Dark Souls 2 it was kind of missing because it would be like oh here's a giant that rips off its arm here's a serpent woman here's a really big man with a sword here's a really big man with an axe and none of them really had that you know when Gaping Dragon turns up and yeah. you're just you draw hits the floor you're like what the fuck even is that that's well, what Bloodborne that... has it has the oh, what the uh... fuck is even is even this I don't even understand what the noise especially the sound design is excellent in Bloodborne um, combat wise it's a bit different from Souls sorry I'm going to go on about this in slight detail no no do I, I honestly I don't know anything about it the, I um, should have watched videos maybe but so I... it's it's uh, you're, you're a demon hunter in it basically so 
but a lot of the stuff is similar to Souls. Like the animations are kind of borrowed from Souls. Mm-hmm. The sound design is exceptional. The level they've shown so far is set in a like a like a kind of fucked up Edinburgh. Really, really gothic. Lots of spires. Really dumb. Full of like shit aspiring <laughs> comics. <laughs> Sorry. Desperately punting their shows. Come and see us in a pub. I was quite entertaining. <laughs> It's like the Royal Mile went really, really wrong, um, and uh, so they uh, and it's full of people who've gone very wrong. Obviously, the towns people are all like shambling, and, and they, they're all kind of and, and, and because you don't know anything about what's going on, partly because it's a demo, and partly because it's a Miyazaki game, you're just kind of there and you're looking down on this. Um, you're you're kind of up on the on the um, like almost the rooftops really, and you're looking down into this kind of corridor, like like the Royal Mile actually, um, with all these kind of craggy spires and church kind mm-hmm. of cathedral gothic things around, and there's just a lot of kind of zombie-ish things, and they're all looking at something just burning on a big cross, and they're all just looking at it, and I just That's, I was just sounds like, like Resident Evil Four at the start. Yeah, I was just like, what is what's going on? You hear these noises coming from places, and. Uh, that's the thing like you walk past the door and it'll be kind of something on the other side is bashing it and making these terrible sounds <laughs> and you're just like I'm not opening that and uh, the, anyway you get to the, you get to the boss and the boss is um, like this uh, it's, it's a kind of giant skeletal goat thing and it's got moss kind of hanging from it but it makes this noise like horrifying mermaids screaming underwater and, when, and you go nearer to it and the sound gets worse and more and it reverberates more and the nearer you are to it the more it's just making this awful shrieking noise that just it sounds completely otherworldly and it just really put the spooks it sounds like I mean, uh, it's, it's great. Uh, they've gone for like a bit more of a horror it's, horror very, it's more it's more it's definitely more overtly horror um, ah. So far, anyway, but it's 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 creepy in this amazing way. Also, interestingly, for for Souls nerds, the combat's very different. You don't have a shield. You have um, two weapons, and basically, if you get hit and you hit back fast enough, you regain your health. So instead of hiding behind a shield, like it's very easy in Souls to just hide hide yeah. behind it and then swipe occasionally. If you do that in Bloodborne, you'll die. You have to get in there. You have to get in there and swipe, and you can transform your weapon from a kind of close blade to a long blade with a kind of press of a button. So you have to get in there and really fight for your life and properly get into the, the moment of mortal peril um, in order to, to get your health back. So oh, if, excellent. It is really good because I, th- I found it in Souls it was easy to be very reserved and hide a lot and kind of, if you saw something, you just withdraw. And in Bloodborne, the combat's been really specifically designed to push you into encounters and make the encounters everyone has to be exciting. So it feels a lot more kind of alive as a combat game, yeah. which is cool. I mean, if you if you played Souls running around like you do sometimes, jewel wielding with no clothes on, it's more like that than it is. <laughs> what have people been telling you about me? <laughs> um, it's more like that kind of you know duck, duck and roll, hit back fast combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of Souls players didn't get to enjoy that side of the game because they were you know busy with the sphere. Well, I, I felt the, the whole, one of the major problems with Dark Souls 2 is the fact that it had a much better combat system but then didn't have terribly good enemies to yeah, fight. Yeah, that was a problem. So, yeah, but no, I'm really excited by this. I I'm mean, fascinated it, by Bloodborne. It's uh, it's one of those games that um, you just know is going to be like really, really good. Like, But it's also... It's, it, it also looks like I'm not going to be able to play it alone because it is really scary and I'm a complete complete coward and I can't play scary games and I've managed the Souls games because they're so good I kind of got over myself but with Bloodborne it's so I've never, creepy I've never got into scary games at all 
But I got into scary films at one point. Oh, I can't. And I don't understand why. Why I, I watched <laughs> The Ring when I was fourteen, and I had to sleep at the foot of my parents' bed for a week. Like giant baby. I know it's pathetic. I'm rubbish at them. I'm not good at them. But I kind of yeah. found it's a bit like with chilies, you know, and that thing of being like, you know, if you get into eating spicy food, yeah, it's like you end up being. I've like, gone really into. Really I've gone into really into horror films lately. It's the same thing of being like it, when it makes you feel uncomfortable. It's sort of a bit addictive. But and my, like, my brain can't. I don't. I think I have a brain that my brain fucks with me for fun all the time like if it's, <laughs> if it's dark and I'm alone my brain will just make shit up oh yeah it'll be like I bet there's someone under your bed with a slashy knife coming to slash you oh, up no, don't get me wrong I am, I am a massive what I, li- I live alone just for the people on the internet I live alone <laughs> and... don't tell them that <laughs> Jesus <laughs> You got oh, pretty good security God. on that place, though. I got damn good security. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even try. And uh, no, I'm I'm a big wuss, but I think you know similar to Chili's, but also I, I mean I compare it to um, like going on extreme fairground rides or something. Yeah. Like you just you want to sort of get through and push through and be like, yes, I did that. But there's a certain time of night where my brain can't distinguish between things that I've made up or that I've watched and reality. Like one night, one time I watched. Have you been to a doctor? <laughs> I think this comes from reading too much as a child. Because yeah. when I was like little, like really little, like seven ish, um, or, or even younger, I would sometimes get confused about whether something had actually happened or whether I'd read it in a book. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd have to think. <laughs> Give about us it for an a bit. example. Have to be very exactly. careful about the books they give you. <laughs> well, you know, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, my friend, uh, I can't think of an example. Like the, the, you know, the famous five books or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would think that had happened to my friends, and, have, and then have to be like, wait, <laughs> no, that didn't happen to anybody. Yes. It was in a book. So, um, but I mean, I remember watching the first episode of the Walking Dead TV series, which was yeah. really, really good. But that night I was on my own and I ended up sleeping under a duvet under the radiator in my hallway because it got to about three in the morning. And in my head, the zombies couldn't get me if I was in a room without any windows. <laughs> and the hallway, <laughs> I, I'm aware this is making me sound completely insane. Well, <laughs> I think in this small respect, I am probably completely yeah. insane. But, I, you know, I just, my brain can't really... I can't do scary stuff because my brain just feeds it back to me in the middle of the night and freaks me out. I just can't know? hack it a lot of time. But um, I do, I do, I might try and get into it. The thing was, I tried to play some amnesia ones. I think it was the thing was, I got really played actually. I didn't, when I started at Video Gamer uh, in my last job, I, I didn't really, I wasn't that aware of like a lot of internet video culture. I just like making videos. And to be honest, I'm still not that aware of internet video culture. I just like making videos. <laughs> but I got one of the things that everyone requested. I was like, hey Matt, like you should do a live stream where you play loads of scary games for a day. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun, why not? Not being aware that this was already like a massively popular thing on Twitch and people basically just want to watch you being uncomfortable. And so I, I tried to play Slender and Amnesia. Yeah. And I was just terrified. Oh, Slender messed me up for about three months when I played that. It was yeah. three months really? of sleeping with the light on because yeah. I didn't like shadows. Really frightening stuff. <laughs> really so scary. But I find that fascinating because it's a it's a rubbish little game. Like it doesn't look real, and yet it's, it's, it's very it, it, frightening. It's, it's, it's that whole someone watching you from a distance thing. Is yeah, it's, very, it's, it's that same that scene. Is it Nightmare on Elm Street? That scene with the watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. I once ran home because I saw a shadow that I thought was something. Like I'm a real. Who <laughs> was that though. last week? Yeah, yeah, you know, the other night. <laughs> it's funny though. Sprint I, for miles. I'm like my my. Uh, I know. I bring my partner's little boy up quite often on this podcast, but he um, loves scary stuff. And he'll watch YouTube videos of Slender and be cackling away. And I'm like, that fr- I'm, I'm 26 years old and that scared me so much I had to sleep with lights on and you're just fine with it. What is going on here? It is like a scale I don't understand. The fact that I have people being like, you were scared by that? Why? That's not scary at all. Yeah. And I'm just like, how can you not? I don't understand. 
Well, I watched a film called The Orphanage a few years ago, and it, it shit me up properly. I felt like I'd been in a car crash. Yeah. And it was just the most The knocking on the wall scene. Oh! It's a really good film. You should watch it. I won't spoil any more, but it's, it's an excellent film, but it messed me right up. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> you are talk- a big girl. <laughs> I am a big, big girl. I'm, I've I got also this- am a huge girl. Yeah. It's an issue. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> um... No, it's, it's odd because when when I played Slender, I didn't remotely have that kind of reaction at all. When, but I I'd been following following Slender for a while. Um, like I think it's originated on the Something Awful forums as like an ARG yeah. kind of thing, and I was following that. And they were making videos of it, and um, it was sort of get increasingly. Uh, more surreal and odd and kind of Lynchian and, and just really creepy but also done in this kind of Blair Witch style like documentary kind of I'm just filming it with my buddies kind of way and that scared the shit out of me I was I just could not handle it because it and I'm not sure what what the actual distinction is um because I haven't really had a game that has scared me that much I've you know I've played Amnesia and I've played um other sort of horror games in Silent Hill and whatever I, always, I found and, um, Eternal Darkness was I haven't played that Eternal Darkness was game. really scary. Yeah, I didn't get very um, far into that. I didn't get that far either. Because <laughs> Fatal Frame kind of, kind of was a bit much. What, for me, I, but what I loved about Eternal Darkness was it broke you slowly. Right, it was, like, slowly. It was like a torture yeah. machine. Rather than trying to be like make you jump with a big scary thing, um, it just and it was so clever. And I'm kind of amazed no one's ripped it off since properly. Yeah, people should have ripped it off. More. And yet, like, if they did, everyone would just be like, oh, you're just ripping off this because it was done. They've left it too long now. If it became a thing that games did, it would be okay. It's but... been 15 years now. So that's, that's, should do that's, it. that's enough time to rip something off. Oh, what is it? You're reviving it. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> basically, like, uh, explain it. Sorry. Um, most people already know about the gimmick of it, but basically, the idea was that it started to mess with you by. by creating stuff the, the game had a sanity meter in it and when your sanity meter hit like low or hit zero it would do things um that weren't real okay and it had a quite a wide i mean after a while you start to get an idea for its tricks but for a while for quite a while you 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 we would do things you hadn't seen and it had this selection of, of illusions it could do to just mess with you and the thing is some of them were a bit shit some of them like weren't scary um, but but the clever thing was it would do them so consistently um, over and over again that you would genuinely start to question everything. It would do stuff like you'd have rooms with like you walk into a room and there'd be three enemies and you'd be like you'd try and get away from them. You'd turn around to go through the door, the door would be locked, and then you'd like try and fight them and you wouldn't kill them and then they'd like start killing you and your character would die and then it would just go poof and you've just that you just come through the door again. It's like that whole thing was just not real. But then it had the classic stuff that everyone remembers of being like coming up and pretending your save data on your memory card is being corrupted. Hmm. Uh, one of them just came up as if like your TV volume was being altered and the TV volume at the bar would just I go down to zero. I wouldn't work because it was like that green Yeah, that green bar. bar you to have on all CRTs. But it did loads of things like this, like it reinsert controller. So it had things that were like kind of really kind of breaking the fourth wall to mess yeah. with you. But then it also had loads of stuff like, you know, your health would just start draining. And you'd be like, why is my health draining? Oh, you'd hear noises of mm. monsters that weren't there. You'd have a room with no monster in it. You'd be able to hear a monster. And it, it was like a lot of them, like, you're like, ha, whatever. But it ground you down until you'd just be freaking out. And you'd have this thing of being like, oh, there's no point trying to fight these monsters. They're not real. Are they real? I think they're real. No, they're not. 
Are they? <laughs> and it, it, it just really effectively, through its sheer consistency of tricks, just gave you a really properly sense that you were just going mad. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really, really, it, yeah, it broke you. It broke me anyway. <laughs> See, what, what, what I think gets me um, with games is, with horror games, is that breaking of the fourth wall. Like, I've been much more afraid with like playing ARGs um, than I have with other games because it's that kind of sense of this is kind of in reality. This is kind of happening almost to you. And if you want to directly take part in it, then you can. And then maybe it is directly happening to you. And it's that sense of this is a thing that is grounded. You know, it's, it is in the world. Yeah. And you don't really get that elsewhere. I didn't really get that with, um, I didn't get that sense with amnesia where it's just like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm exploring and I know there's a thing and there's other things yeah. and, but I'm still in a damn game, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm still just playing a game. And it's that kind of, it's the blurring of reality that I find the most scary. I and think, I think my brain lacks the ability to not blur reality <laughs> with everything. Yeah. I think that's probably why I find everything so scary because my sure. brain just doesn't have that kind of this is fiction And these barrier. two messed me up so much because I, I didn't see the monster for like, I played for about an hour and a half and everyone, I was, I was streaming at the time, I think the stream has been lost because it was one of those ones that just wasn't saved. But it was like, I just didn't see the monster. And I was, everyone was like, oh, this is weird. Like, <laughs> usually you would have seen the monster a couple of times by now, but I just didn't see it. And it was, I was just terrified because I kept being obviously being really close to it. And I love the fact in that is the worst thing you can possibly have of when you're like, when your character gets freaked out, they just fall over. Yeah. They no, just no, like, no, no. they just go, oh, I feel like lightheaded. Then they get, and then they, you get up again. And when you get up again, the whole world's just slightly darker and a bit weirder. And the idea of like everything taking on a bit of a slant in the way that paintings look a bit weird when you're freaked out and stuff. It was, but I really want to play... I, the problem is I'm a real pansy. And actually somebody in the comments last week were like, oh, so like you're a bit unfair about Silent Hill. And it's like, I, I don't... I don't... I can't play these games. Yeah. So I don't have a... But I it kind of want to play Machine for Pigs because apparently it's got a really interesting story. I, I mean, I'd quite like to play PT, but I wouldn't like to play it. I'd like to watch someone play PT, but I, I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I, I got about two and a half minutes into a YouTube of it and just, no. <laughs> no, never watching that. Never playing it. Can't. Too scary. Uh, yeah, my base level is like, I love Resident Evil 4. I like the Fear games, uh, the first sure. two anyway. Yeah. Because they're like a bit scary, but not that scary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm rubbish. Um, but I am really looking forward to, uh, for the same thing, like if you're saying Bloodborne, is you, you get a feeling it's definitely going to be good. I'm still, I'm still yeah, hyped. I'm, I'm really I'm For really Destiny. I'm still hyped for Destiny. And I'm worried that this happens to me with every Bungie game. I don't know why. Maybe it is the bungee rope effect that I, I always remain hyped for bungee games right up until day of launch and then as soon as I get them I just don't care. I had that with Titanfalls I may have said on last yeah. podcast and I was so hyped for it. I played the beta loads it came out I played it for one evening. I've literally not touched it since just that one evening. But I, I keep like, finding oh, myself no. thinking oh man I wish I had it now I'd love to just sit and spend an evening playing Destiny and I'm really worried I'll get it and then she'll be like... It is strange that I, I've been playing one game for the last two weeks, just continuously. I've played twenty-one hours of it in like ten days. I'd be what fascinated to know what, what we've been playing. Is Persona Four Golden, yeah. ah, which yeah. is a game I've had for about four years, and I've been meaning to play because everyone says I love it, and it's the kind of thing I really like. 
and uh, it's it's just great. It's really good. I've been playing it for about two or three hours every single day. But I find I'm a one game person. You know, when I get really into something, I have literally no interest in playing anything else right now because I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm playing that. You know, some people will play ten or eleven games a bit each at once. I just can't do it. I get super into one. So if you know if I haven't finished it by the time Destiny comes out, I'm gonna be like, mm, got percent. Yeah, no, I'm exactly <laughs> the same way. I mean, weirdly, like if if I'm reading a book, I'm more than happy to read multiple books at once. But when it comes to gaming, it's like I like I like lifestyle games. Mm. I like a game that I can just a good old wow. I, yeah, I mean, I spent a good six. Five, no, five years in, in WoW, six hours a day. Bloody <laughs> hell. It was a long time. And then, you know, I moved on to some other MMO and then moved on to League of Legends. And I just, that's how, it, it feels like that's the right way to do it. You how, know? What were you getting out of WoW after, say, four years of six hours a day? What were you still um, getting out of it? Habit, mostly. Oh. I mean, the first... RSI. Um, yes like slight mental issues loneliness (laughs) Uh, no it's you you become part of a a culture of of wow players that's mostly it um certainly if you're if you're part of a guild um you become friends with people you know Mm. it's your social circle yeah and it's what you do ever you know if you raid every Thursday night that's what you do every Thursday night it just becomes this kind of habit I had the same thing I played I played WoW for a long time and I got into the raiding didn't get super deep in the raiding was when I decided that I need to stop mainly because it was just that thing and, and that's one of the reasons why I, when I got into Dota it felt like this isn't like this because it is different like with, with Dota or something like that with League you know you, you, every game is its own reward and you're not tricking yourself really into thinking that like you're working towards anything mm-hmm. it's just a play by play thing so you spend 40 minutes playing a game because you enjoy playing that 40 minutes whereas I found especially I mean I think they changed a lot of it but it felt like uh, in the early days of Raiding and WoW it felt like very much like you were just working towards stuff that wasn't really real yeah. you were like working work 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 to get something else and it was like it was always kind of tricking you with invis- like carrots that weren't real. Whereas the carrot in something like with League of Legends or Dota, equally enticing, but it's just like the fun of the game. And you do have games, like I've, I've had patches with Dota where I just didn't, I'd hate myself for that actually. When I had, I'd spend the whole evening playing Dota and I'd like not enjoy any of the games. And I'd go to bed being like pissed off. Yeah, because we lost. Time, yeah. yeah, we lost four games in a row. And that's my entire evening, like gone. I mean, in the end, the main reason I had to give it up was just because I wasn't playing enough games and. It's the thing if like some people can play eleven games at once. Mm. I have the problem is I get addicted to one, but then I feel I need to. I'm done with that game. Then I don't feel like I can start playing another game until I've because of what I do until I've like made a proper video about that game. But that really varies, and I get stuck on stuff because it's like most games I play and I go, oh, it's pretty good, and I could bash out a video in a couple of days, being like, it's pretty good for this reason, it's not really good for this. But I got I've got so into I got so into King of Dragon Pass. I'm still playing. I've been playing it for about forty hours. <laughs> It's one of the best games I've played in a long time. And yet I keep being like, oh, don't start playing any more games until you've made the video of King of Dragon Pass. And it's like, yeah, but Matt, that video is going to take ages to script. And then you're going to have to like get a medieval costume and do some green screen. <laughs> and it's like, you can't do See, anything else. You have damn structure in your life, Matt. Oh, I don't know any structure. Well, I mean, you know, you, you structure these things around. I, I got to do my job for my YouTube channel. And stuff. Yeah, but I don't have a but, boss. So I'm really bad at like not making deadlines and well, stuff. You know, yeah. re- reviewing was a very good. I don't do much 
like reviewing anymore just because firstly Kotaku doesn't really do reviews the deadlines always seem like a fucker with reviews when I used to do them well this is it because you have but to now, play, you have to play three games a week when you when you when you're a staff writing reviewer you have to play yeah you usually have to do two reviews a week and you know when I was working at IGN I was doing probably three reviews a month yeah. on top of all the rest of the job that I had so it really helped though because I had to play through to finish like as my job I had to play through all these games and I've probably I was probably the most rounded player right. I've ever been when I was when I was doing mostly reviewing. Do you feel how you approach games is different now that you don't do that? Oh yeah, like I I, I find it more difficult. I certainly don't finish things <coughs> ever. No, I very rarely finish a game. You know, when you're reviewing something for you know on IGN, we had a policy. It was like you, you have to finish game you're reviewing unless it's like I mean I didn't finish Dark Souls. No, a few because websites because it was literally that, yeah. impossible. I, I didn't I didn't finish Dark Souls. <laughs> no, it was impossible. It was not possible to finish. Um, no, no, we 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 tried, we tried so hard. <laughs> we tried. I spent two hundred hours on that game. Anyway, uh, the um, but but yeah. So there was a policy you had to finish it. So I just had to finish it, and that actually kind of helped because because now I feel like my my spare time is precious, and if I'm not enjoying yeah. something, I'll just stop playing it forever. And I think it actually helps sometimes. Like if you're not enjoying a game for an hour, it's it's good if you if you have to play it, then maybe you'll see something a lot better about it later on. Whereas if you don't have that, you know, that you have to do it, then it becomes a bit more difficult to find the motivation. I find. Yeah. I find it. I do know what you mean, though. I find, like, after years of, like, critiquing games and taking them apart, I find... And I don't know. Like, I've, I've recently hit a point where I feel like I, I have the need for, like, games as escapism a little bit more yeah, yeah. at the moment. And I'm not sure... I, I, I'm trying to find the right one for it, but I'm just not sure I can do that anymore in the same way. It's, it's strange. Like, whenever I have the same thing, whenever I'm playing a video game, somewhere in my mind is going, what are you going to write about this? Yeah, what or are you going to do? wasting time unless what you're What kind of video are you going to do? What are you going to say? Yeah. 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 Do you like it? How much I, do you like I, it? I don't plan to write anything about Persona. I'm just, I just plan to enjoy it for a long, long time. That was my thing with Dota, but it just it started just infringing on my life so much because it became a social thing. I used to... I, I didn't know most of the guys I was playing, but they became my friends. We'd just chat on Skype. Yeah. I, yeah, I know where they're from. Well, that's the thing. That's like, like, when a game becomes your social life, as in WoW as well, right? That's yeah. When, that's when it becomes really difficult to extricate yourself. Same as Eve. You know, what the Eve guys, CCP, often say, people quit Eve, they don't quit their friends. Yeah, yeah. And like with me, going back to me playing uh, board games now as yeah. a thing, it's like playing League of Legends and imagine playing Dota. It was, it's the same kind of feeling. It's, I mean, in my case, I know who I'm playing with. Um, and we have our little group and it's very much like being, you know, back in the early 90s or late 80s or whatever and just being in your basement and you're just with your buddies and you're just... You know, yeah. playing around. Open a six pack. Yeah. In your basement with your buddies. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You're not from this country. Probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, neither basements nor friends. <laughs> no. Simply rain and lofts <laughs> and adversaries. Crawl spaces. That's all we get. But no, I know, yeah. I know what you mean. But I, I found recently that I try and I try, even though it's harder work to get people together. It's sort of like I think online gaming is not a replacement. I, sometimes it feels like it is and it's so much more convenient but um, there's nothing quite like having people in the same room Ye- uh, yes I mean this, I I this, this, is, this isn't of... even really about the hobby I think it's just more about like um, I, something I find like yeah. I start to go you realise that we're not made for this you know we're not as creatures well, we're, no, not, we're animals that need to interact. we're not made to sit in, in boxes <laughs> of concrete on our own for most of the time which is largely what I do but we're not made for it <laughs> like we're supposed to be out doing stuff together yeah, and it's weird. Like I don't know. 
Yeah, that, that's 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 a funny thing that's happening in, in general in culture right now is we're realizing yeah. that we're not actually built for all the information that's constantly thrown at us all the time. Like things like Twitter are just breaking all of us because we, we can't yeah. handle it. And that and um, I read a really interesting thing in the New Scientist about this in that the the online thing, right? So when you're commenting or when you're on Twitter or whatever, if someone is mean to you, you get the same fight or flight response that you would get in a real person situation, and the same kind of anger, the same chemicals and hormones that happen. But there's nowhere for them to go yeah. because there's no reasonable way for you to express it because if you're in real life you might punch them or run away or stomp off or whatever but if you're sitting in front of a computer those those bad chemicals just don't go anywhere so they just run away, yeah. they keep circulating and so you can work yourself into this negative spiral on the internet and this this kind of start, the article I was reading was trying to explain the phenomenon of mostly negative comments I'm terrible for that and it's just it just you you basically get caught in this spiral where all the hormones that you would usually or the chemicals in your brain that you would usually get rid do of do something with do something with go and punch something or whatever they just stay there and go mm. round and round and round it's really interesting I need to read that article mm, I'll find it for you I, I, yeah it's, I'm terrible for that like somebody will say something that really pisses me off and I'll go no not responding to that but then it'll just sit there in your thing it'll just sit there in your little tweet thing recent yeah. tweets <laughs> and eventually I'll just crack and I'll just, I, it's it, just staring at you. It's just there, and it's it won't go right away. It's there. Now, I, I fairly recently got, for some reason, I thought it was a very good idea to get an Ask.fm um, account. <laughs> like, I've seen is, you having fun with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, 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 people ask me about my dog and burgers I've eaten and stuff. It'll be great. Everyone will be happy. And no, it's just, it's, it's. I mean, the ratio between sort of positive and negative comments are, I mean, it's not 50-50 or anything, but no, it's, no. You, you still get, you know, the odds, odds comments. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just like, I, I want to respond. If this was in actual reality. <laughs> Listen, so if it was in reality, you'd fucking kill them <laughs> or I, try to. But even just why? Why are you asking this? Why? Like, on, on just a basic human level, why? I think it's, yeah, it's 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 strange. And I think that you're right, the way, especially like with a lot of work environments, like the whole cubicle culture, which has been around for a long time, but combined now with, with internet social media being like, yeah, you, most people spending a lot of their lives in like purposefully like self-contained, like keep you away from other humans so you don't get distracted, but then they're getting distracted by thousands of other people in weird ways that humans aren't supposed to relate and I just yeah. find that I think increasingly and to bring it back to like having some sort of for those of you who go what the fuck uh, <laughs> there is a relevance here because I honestly think that play is like it's such a central part of like well, we human behaviour like that we obviously do mainly as children but then I think historically as adults as well of like having settings in which play is a a sort of cultural social thing it just yeah. feels like that importance is coming back there was another um, a neuroscientist comment in I think the same article which was about it was about Facebook basically and the interaction that you get from that and she was comparing the uh, the reaction and the emotions that you get in your brain from Facebook to sugar in that it's very addictive and not nourishing that you're not getting the social interaction that your brain needs from Facebook but it seems like you are like with sugar you're not getting any nourishment but it feels like you're getting like you're eating something valuable hmm. and then you just want to eat more and more and more of it and it's the same with Facebook it's why people get kind of obsessed with it um, because it's you're not actually your brain thinks that you're getting social interaction from it but you're not getting social interaction you're not getting the you know oxy what's the word oxy what's that stuff you get when you touch somebody else that, that brain chemical that hormone Oxytocin? Uh, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, that. You're not getting it. So it's, yeah, it's just you ain't funny. getting it. Whatever it is, <laughs> no. So like interacting on the internet is like the junk food of interacting in real life, which I thought was an interesting concept. 
It is, it is. And I think, yeah, like, I don't know. I still prefer playing Mario Kart in, in a real room with people. Although I did get horribly addicted to online Mario Kart for about a month this year. And then I would finish work and then I'd pick up the Wii U gamepad and I'd go, just play a game of Mario Kart and that'd be it until yeah. bedtime every single night. <laughs> this ridiculously high, they give you scores to match you up with other people. And I just had this score. It got to the point where I was racing with 10 people and everybody else would have like a thousand fewer points than me and I was like okay I've got to stop playing this now sure. I mean I'm I'm again going back to oh, I am a well player sort of conversation I, I'm not entirely convinced that multiplayer gaming doesn't kind of scratch the same itch like when it comes to when I think I'm, multiplayer gaming is probably different from Facebook it's probably more nourishing yeah, I mean, uh, in my you case, I, I'm not just doing something, but I, I speak, you know, I, I'm yeah, yeah. actually speaking, you know, on Skype or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it is essentially just a, you know, what, a five-way con- a phone oh, call totally. or something. That's totally. still real interaction. But it's, it is real interaction. Yeah. Yeah, um, when real I was doing... Um, I mean, not raids, but when I was when I was doing quests or something with random players, and wow, obviously that wasn't done on on uh, you know vocally. There was a bit of Ventrilo on the side. I remember back in the day. Back in the day, yeah, oh. but. <laughs> Ventrilo so for lads. Old now, no, I do, I do know what you mean though, and it's like it isn't that it's not real. It's yeah, just I think it. it's I think it's just it's very very good, but it's not quite. I guess it's basically the equivalent of being somebody who doesn't really go out but just spends the whole time like calling up everyone on the phone. <laughs> and I, it's like, it's, yeah, it's nice. To imagine. It's nice, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I just found like, I found myself like, it's, I guess it's like going off heroin onto morphine or something. It's like, it's not quite the same. I, I don't, yeah. it, it wasn't until I'd been doing this for months. And the thing was, this is because I, um, mainly when I was working at video game, I just, because of my commutes, because I was cycling like 20 miles a day, that's why I just became a weird Jesus skeletal, Christ. became a weird skeletal character. Yeah. Um, perfectly fit, but weird looking. Um, <laughs> big legs. <laughs> big legs. Tiny arms. Tiny everything. Ugh, <laughs> weird skeleton, man. Um, but yeah, I just used to spend my whole evenings just playing Dota, mainly, and just yeah. not really seeing people. And Fraser was like, it's fine, I spend all my time talking to people and having fun with friends, but yeah. actually it's like, it's not quite the same. It isn't quite so. But I don't know. I don't think it's bad. And I think it's, it's way better than just playing games on your own. Way better. Yeah. I just, I think that there's this kind of, um, there's this trend, particularly among games journalists to be like, you know, I miss the days when we do single player games. Oh yeah, yeah. And I do miss that, you know, and some of my favorite games are single player games, but I just, I you know, there's it's it's not a bad word. You know, multiplayer isn't a bad word. Yeah, it, it depends yeah. also on how you grew up. Like when I was uh, when I was a kid, uh, none of my friends. I went to an all girls school, and none of my friends liked games. It was just me basically. Yeah. So I played by myself, and the friends I had who were into games were on the internet. And so when I kind of you know grew up and moved away and found friends in real life who played games together, they they'd spent their whole childhoods playing games with each other, and that was like new for me. Sure. And it was very exciting at that point. Um, but I mean, I used to do pad passing a lot. Like yeah. for me, playing a game with someone is playing a single player game, but passing the pad now and then. Like I really enjoy doing that. Uh, I've always done that with friends and you know partners and stuff. It's it's a really nice way to play together, and also means you don't get angry at each other. Yeah, <laughs> which I find yeah. happens a bit too often sometimes, especially when you're playing co-op with someone. It's just like an excuse for an argument. I like multiplayer within very strict boundaries, and that's why I like stuff like uh, Dota because it's like, do you want to play a game? Yes. I'm going to get a cup of tea and we'll play a game. The game will last <laughs> half an hour, an hour, and then I can choose if I want to play another one or I can leave. And that's it. It's like contained, 
But I find whenever I'm playing games, and this is why I was a bit like, oh God, when at E3 last, they were like, look at all of these four player adventures. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Because I, I don't like, I like traveling on my own. I'm a weird guy. I, I like being on my own sometimes because I feel like I don't like to have the pace of what I'm doing dictated by other people. And I find that weirdly a lot with games of being like- You sound like a lot of fun, Matt. I don't like- He's I don't, great at parties. Oh, I don't, I, don't, I am great at parties, providing I've come on my own. <laughs> In which case, I have tons of fun, I do what I want, and then when I want to leave, I just leave. Just by himself. Just gone. He's just there eating all the Pringles. No, no, it's just, just by it's, himself. A, it's a weird, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't like that weird thing. I was when I was playing the Destiny Vita, I was really enjoying it, but I had this thing of being like, and I feel really bad to admit this, but basically I was saying to people, oh, I don't have, I don't have a headset, I don't have a headset, so I'm just not going to talk. And it's like I realised I did have a little headset that came with a PS4, that little yeah, crap, and it's really crappy. Yeah, yeah. But it meant that like at first I didn't plug it in because I was like, I can't be bothered. But then other people would join my party and they would be chatting to each other and it would be coming through my TV and it would really bother me because. I like the kind of just the just playing a game and just getting yeah. immersed in the world. And so I ended up plugging in the little headset thing into the controller just so I couldn't hear them. But then I, <laughs> but then I could Jesus. hear them. No, because I don't mind going around with like, I actually kind of like, if, I, if it's people I don't know very well, I actually kind of like the idea of just being with people we don't really know, just shooting stuff together and having that sense of camaraderie, that silent camaraderie, you know, it's deep. <laughs> Uh, you're a stoic man that's funny <laughs> but then but then with this thing of like you know eventually I ended up like putting the ear in a bit so I could hear what they were saying but I just wasn't talking because I just yeah. I don't like to I think well sometimes when you're playing a game like Destiny with other people it's kind of like when you all go out for the night and I guess it's 7 o'clock and we're leaving the pub and everyone's like let's go there and then three other people are like no we'll go there it's like oh well Jane wants to get some cigarettes and you're like ah yes, yes, that's let's exactly, just go somewhere that's exactly and eventually it. one of you just marches off and everyone dawdles away it's a bit like that when you're I'm, out. I am that awful person <laughs> on nights out when there's when that's so why I don't like going out with like more than three people. When there's a big group, now we've got to wait for this person because they've got to go and this. Now we've got to wait for this person. It's like no, I'm going to the pub. Who wants to come to the pub? They can catch us up. Like why do we have to go? Why do we have to walk around in one big group? But obviously with online games, they make you do that. You can't just be like, well, I'm going to go ahead. I'll see you in a bit. They'd be like, are you ready to leave the the shop yet? No. Or like yes. I, I, I just want to get on with it. I either just want to get on with it or I just want to dawdle around and everyone's going, oh, we've got to wait for Matt. He's like jumping around in circles and driving his hovercraft into a car, into a wall. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't care. Go without me. I'm having fun. But yeah. It's a weird thing of feeling beholden to people and being part of like a convoy, which is nice if you're with friends, but... Uh... Yeah, no, and, and I, I absolutely get that. I think that the... the I mean, the main point of all of this is, you know, if you play with people you know, yeah. like, then, and you like, then you're going to be a happy puppy. Yeah. You know, and if you play with strangers, strangers are horrible, and just I've don't never, be around I, like, them. Aside from in Dota, I've never had that. Like, I've never had a group of friends who play games online that have been, like, really close friends. Yeah. That I've really, I remember, like, because... I've midnight, never had that either. The Midnight Resistance guys, like Sean Bell and all those guys, mm -hmm. I've known them for years. I, I always tried to get in on their games on Xbox Live, but they had, like, such a tight-knit group of like yeah. their mates that always play and they had their own jokes every time I tried to play with them it would always be like oh we've only got four slots and they're all full I'd be like I don't know and so now, but now it's the opposite now I've got loads of people who want to play online games with, but I don't really know <laughs> any really of them really popular guys who don't need you <laughs> I don't really know any of them and it's weird playing games with people you don't know sure yeah I mean when I when I play low in, in a pickup group and with random strangers it's a horrible experience they're yeah it's interesting it's they're, so different they're not socialized like they don't know how to speak to you they are mean 
They don't know how to play mostly. Yeah, you can have a lot of rough people on Dota as well. But I do have some good experiences occasionally, uh, but it's very it's, it's more rare. It's more rare. I had a pretty. I mean, I think GTA Online is a perfect illustration of this. In that, did people still play that? Yeah. Okay. GTA. Well, I, I've not played it since I had the horrible experience of trying to review it when it was still broken. <laughs> but, um, I played it a little while ago actually, just for fun, and it's, it's improved a lot. And uh, the problem is that everyone I knew who played it has stopped. And the thing is, GTA Online, when you're playing it with friends, it's the best game in the world. You have a hilarious time and anecdotes happen and it's just brilliant and I could go on. It's just great though. Um, and then when you're playing it on your own with random strangers, it's just a game where you get shot in the head by strangers repeatedly all the time and it's mm-hmm. not fun at all. One time I was, uh, you know, I had to restart a lot of times in GTA because I kept deleting my character back in the day. And uh, one of the times when I started again, uh, I was in the clothes shop buying some clothes, which is one of the first missions, and someone drove up, parked their car in front of the door, and just stood on the hood, flipping the bird at me repeatedly. Yeah. So I couldn't get out of the shop. I was just stuck in the shop. And I was like, there's nothing I can do here. He just sat, he stood there, just you know, continually flipping the bird for about five minutes. And I was like, all right. And I went off and did something else. I came back an hour later, still there. And I was like, what are you getting out of this? Yeah. I don't understand. So it's, it's, it's the best well, game in the world. Is, is its own sort of strange psychology. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I haven't really experienced that since like playing MMOs. Um, like you don't really get that in, in well, MOBAs people are very creative in GCA when they grief you usually like yeah. it's actually quite funny sometimes but it's just the, the gulf in experience between when you're trying to escape the cops halfway up a mountain on a bicycle with a friend because you lost your car yeah. and uh, the gulf between that experience and just trying to get to a mission marker but being continually blown up by morons who think it's funny is so huge that it really it really brings into focus like what you know multiplayer gaming the whole scope is like yeah the whole spectrum (laughs) of the rainbow but multiplayer gaming is only fun when it's the people that are fun yeah yeah I mean it's strange how I mean again I I had so much experience of of dealing with the griefers and and, uh, wow but playing lol and I'm assuming playing Dota it's like there's such a kind of weird peer pressure that that relates around you have to play correctly, you have to play well. And if you don't, then you're going to get bullied. Yeah, it is. Well, competitive is is different, isn't it? And the thing is, that's really funny, I don't know if this is true in in, in League of Legends, but what I noticed in Dota 2 is when I first started playing, I felt so intimidated. And whenever I got anything wrong, I was so apologetic because you knew that everyone's going to come down you like a ton of bricks because it's basically like you've just wasted half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour of somebody's time. Which I get that. Like, I, you start to get an idea of like how that feels because you're like, oh god, and it's not your fault as a new player. It's kind of the fact that the matchmaking thing is clearly a bit broken because <laughs> you shouldn't have even been there. Like, basically. <laughs> However, one thing I did start to notice is once you get out of that early stages of being the guy who's like, I'm really sorry, it's my first game, and actually, I had a few games where I said, I'm really sorry, I don't know what I'm doing, and I just yeah. like, oh, don't worry about it, man. Like, you know. It's fine. Like, just do your best and don't do this. And you try and teach them something so the next game they wouldn't be as bad. Yeah. But then when you get outside of that realm, you just get occasionally people in who just flame their teammates. Whenever it starts going south, they flame and they get so angry. And I started to notice that it's always the people who start bitching about their teammates and going, you're terrible, you're losing us. They're all the, always the worst players. They're they always the ones who are actually like, dude, you're... And then in, in a weird way, maybe I start playing with too many Swedish dudes who have, have, often have this demeanour. They were just like, they get really zen about it and just start laughing and just being like, oh, it doesn't matter. He's just, he's, he's clearly just really bad at the game. There was, <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to live with somebody who played six or seven hours of Dota a day 
and uh, his bedroom was like through the wall from mine, so I would just hear him screaming at people all yeah. night. And I always Sounds suspected right. I always suspected he might just be a dreadful player. <laughs> he was always just screaming that everybody else was doing everything wrong all the time. That usually is people who aren't very good at something. It kind of tends to be the way of it. It's the people who are who are getting very angry like the, about everyone else. It's the guy on the couch yelling at the football team who isn't doing well. It's like, will you fucking get out there and play football? You're probably dreadful at it. Yeah. Same deal. Yeah, which is this funny thing of being like, what are you talking about? You don't understand how this game works. I want to I want to play enough of I've never played a game of Dota or lol it's not my kind of thing but I'd like to play enough of it to be able to understand what's going on in the in the esports well, have you got 600 yeah. hours free and this is the problem like, <laughs> if I could just if I could just play it for like 5 hours just to understand what was going on oh, that would no. be amazing but yeah, that's never yeah. going to happen because I, mean, I really love watching uh, these I love watching the uh, highlights of the games because to me it's like what I imagine must be like for normal people just watching a normal game thing because it makes zero sense and have no idea what's going on and everyone's really excited and I, I, really, don't know why. I really wish I was into watching it I'm just not into watching sports in any way so in because the same way I can't get into the World Cup and that's when I stopped yeah, playing Dota I is I realised it was an evolutionary dead end for me because I was enjoying it a lot I played it for, my, I played it for a thousand hours I loved it. I got quite good at it, but it's like I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna want to be involved in the professional scene. It's not as a player, but just as somebody talking about it or writing about it. I'm yeah. just, I'm not interested in it. Speaking of competitive gaming, I went to the Pokemon National Championships oh, a few weekends ago. We've got, we can. All right, we're gonna skip the questions and we're gonna have. Uh, no, have, we don't need to skip the questions, do we? Uh, well, we can, all right, we'll just go over. Let's just okay, whatever. I went to the Pokemon National Championship. Tell me. We've had your, <laughs> amazing. If you haven't heard Keza's Pokemon sub story, it's an earlier episode. I episode can't 16. Remember. Oh, is that it? was the last one I was on. Yeah. Okay, episode 16. <laughs> Pretty sure it's episode 16. <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah, okay. Encyclopedia Keza. Done. I'm rubbish at that stuff. Memory. Uh, yes, I went to... Uh, so I wanted to go to the Pokemon Championships when I was 11. Uh-huh. And I didn't go because of tragic reasons that are explored in the previous podcast. Uh, previously on death <laughs> <laughs> but I went finally on my 26th birthday I went to Washington DC and I went to a big convention centre with a huge gigantic floating Pikachu above the above the you know hallway and I spent the weekend with 3,000 children and they all and some, some adults who were all playing Pokemon competitively and it was amazing there were all these awesome families who you know they brought their kids and because their kids were so into competitive Pokemon they'd kind of gotten into it too so you had these whole families that were like some of them the adults were competing in the masters and the kids were competing in the juniors and there was this lovely um, guy I met um, who actually he was divorced from his wife and he brought his little boy who was like the top ranked player in Europe and uh, the wife was like not letting him play Pokemon wouldn't let him do any Pokemon not a fan of Pokemon at all and so he couldn't really train except when he was with his dad and his dad had to fight really hard to get him to Washington and you know it was just this lovely story that he managed to get his his kid to Washington with his kid and they, they were playing together and it was great his wife sounds awesome she does sound like a pretty bad person <laughs> you don't want to cast aspersions but you know <laughs> if you wouldn't would let your kid be play you know he's world class he's a world class Pokemon player yeah. and so I'm you know well, I, what a fucking licky tongue am I right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um, these um, these kids the, so I'm you know I used to play competitive Pokemon literally 10 years ago 15 years ago actually 15 years ago and, I, and and so to me the new Pokemon is just like it doesn't make any sense and I was talking to this guy who's 22 just come out he's, he's a college kid and he just come out of his match and he's lost and he's like oh, oh my fucking rain strength and polyworth didn't one shot his game car man just didn't one shot his Gengar and dudes were like yeah man that sorry that rain but he really just turned that rain about he's a super bulky Gengar and I'm really sorry and I was like what are you talking about this is amazing and I and over the course of the weekend I learned competitive Pokemon just by paying a lot of attention and drawing on my previous knowledge I just learned it and suddenly 
all the big screen stuff and it was all streamed and there was a huge big screen and there were kind of a couple hundred people watching at any one time and for the final there were a few thousand everyone was just watching these Pokemon matches and I was like understanding what was going on and who was being clever and the guy who won was a Korean guy who used Pachirisu who's a little squirrel dude who nobody oh, yeah, yeah. nobody would expect Pachirisu to be a competitive Pokemon but he'd managed to train it in such a way that it won it won this little stupid squirrel was standing there next to like mega to mega Kangaskhan <laughs> and all these huge monsters and this little squirrel won the match and it was just everyone went mental and I was like I get esports suddenly because now I've, I've watched competitive Pokemon it's Pokemon Kaiser it's not a sport <laughs> <laughs> I had such a good time watching it it was great and uh, they had the trading card game championships as well and I used to play that when I was a kid and you know, pff, I don't remember anything about that and I was just watching these these matches and, you know, people put a card down and everyone would go, ooh, like 100 people. And I'd be like, what, what's happening? I don't understand. <laughs> but I just had such a good time. Oh, shit. Everyone, can't believe they put that card down. He didn't attach enough uh, enough energy for the That's mega dream. That's so sad. Like, I just don't appreciate sports, right, in I any like way. Sports. I wish I could give my dose knowledge to somebody else, which would siphon it into somebody else's brain. <laughs> somebody who loves sports, they could just immediately watch the international and be like, fuck, this is amazing. Because I understand it all. I'm just not, I'm just not, I can't be bothered. But it really reminded me of all the stuff that I loved about Pokemon when I was a kid. Like I just thought if I had if I had a kid who was at these championships, I would die of pride. Just watching all these parents sort of give their little children pep talks and send them in to play Pokemon competitively. But they're not just... only taking a bit too seriously. Do you see any of them being you know behind the scenes chastised for not? training their Gengar to be buff enough <laughs> no I'll be honest I didn't see any of that Gengar ain't buff enough Tommy what did I tell you <laughs> what did I tell you about switching you up you ain't eating for next? days <laughs> get in the car but the parents were either bemused like completely bemused by the whole thing or they were kind of into Pokemon themselves it was, um. just, it was a nice mix and it was really family orientated and it was just lovely it was a lovely weekend I had a very nice time that is nice yeah Pokemon, Pokemon. I like Pokemon it's great it's alright I, it's great it's fucking great actually for a long time and I still think we've been what my favourite games of all time are Pokemon Red's still up there yes yeah, probably I, it blew my, my top fucking five. mind hmm. I just remember playing it on a Game Boy and just just after it took me about three or four hours and after about three or four hours I got it I, I still remember sitting on on the, we were staying at someone's house sitting on the bed playing Pokemon and I had this moment where it just struck me I just suddenly got what this game was I was like because I didn't know anything about it and after about two hours I think I just caught a Geodude and I was just like Fuck, this is like an RPG, but with hundreds of things you can pretend. And I was just like, this is incredible. It was I, just just like, I just never played anything like Pokemon it. Pokemon is a classic child empowerment children's story. It's the Narnia, it's the Harry Potter, it's the You're Special. And if you work hard, then you can be the best. So get out there and yeah. enslave some creatures. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that, you know, sending your kid out the door at 10 to become a Pokemon master. Like all these, you know, classic children's stories revolve around, you know, children existing independently in an adult free world and yeah. Pokemon is that and it's that feeling of uh, of being powerful in yourself and you know working hard to, 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 to be the best at something and all that and it's a classic child empowerment and having a mum mother doesn't care about you at all <laughs> yeah just send you out into the wilds how's it going with son? dangerous Fine. animals uh, you haven't seen me for six months <laughs> uh, I used to live here one day I just left <laughs> I had a great I had a great moment at a, at a barbecue like a year ago there was a 10 year old girl there and she had a DS and she was like I don't know she was, she was playing something she was like I'm kind of bored of this and I had in my copy I had in my pocket a promo copy of Pokemon Black and I just reached into my pocket and said give this a try and this, this wee girl just stuck it in and she sat there for about an hour and I was like how you like it and she just looks at me like this is amazing and I felt like I'd passed on the it was great bloody love my work here is done <laughs> I felt 
bad for her mum. <laughs> he didn't didn't get consent. No idea what's going on. <laughs> like a Jedi. Uh, Okay, let's do a couple of questions. A couple of questions. We sort of covered this earlier, but Jason Killensworth asks, why is it impossible to fall in love with Dark Souls 2? Oh, yeah. Kind of... We had to... It doesn't have the dignity and the majesty. That's what you I think do. it is. <laughs> I think it's just not as good. But then I wonder, because I sort of think, you know, you love, Dark, you love Demon Souls more. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just your first. Oh, I think it might be a bit like... Well, no, because Dark Souls is... Like, I think it's better than Demon's Souls. I just, it's not as personally important to me, but I think it's better. All right, well, you've, you've got it right then. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the correct answer. Yeah. Um, uh, Edward Fenning asks, should more studios hire full-time writers to work on games or are they not needed? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah, is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just problem objectively, with, yes. Yeah, the problem is that writers are always contractors. They're always brought in for a project, and sometimes what happens is they're brought in for six months, they write all the stuff, then their contract expires and they go away, and then after that they mangle it. <laughs> like, yeah. everyone else mangles it. I also think that, um, from what I gather, like, you have to be, if you're going to have a full, if you're gonna have full-time writer, they need to be people who actually understand, like, what happens to the writing in terms of how it's used in a game so when they yeah, come in to, how to how to design a game essentially they have to have a background in it yeah and understanding like being able to because I think otherwise they just I, I can, if the you get is, a film writer they can't I do can it I imagine they'd be a right pain in the arse because yeah. I'm a writer yeah. and I imagine if I wrote something not having a completely explicit understanding of how game designs worked and how that was going to be chopped up and how it might change they'd just be a nightmare they'd just be roaming around the studio like a crazy <laughs> falcon being like what are you doing why are you changing this and I'm the artist. Yeah, no, I mean my writers they, are assholes. I'm how, one, I know. But that's yeah. how it works now. Is they have the writer as this like separate entity who comes into work with the team, not someone who's part of the team. Yeah, I mean, Rihanna Pratchett has kind of uh, written about this quite a bit of how she would get onto projects that were already essentially half done and kind of have to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the so MacGyver it together. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of the tragedy of being a. a proper sort of narrative writer uh, but the all, the other issue is that I think writers become this marketing tool and as opposed to this 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 person who is there to basically make a game good rather than being a job it becomes a kind of brand affiliation thing. yeah and you know you see a lot of people who are like you know we got this guy who made this book and it was on the bestseller <laughs> list and now he's making our game and it's like that's awesome never read the book but okay I guess it's gonna be good and it doesn't fucking matter because these are people who don't you know they don't play games they don't know it and I think that um, like even just having a basic understanding of programming yeah. will make you a better narrative writer. And if you don't have that, if you're just some schmuck off the street who wrote like a really good possibly some fantasy schmuck, book. Some schmuck of a successful I still author. remember. Yeah, some <laughs> idiot. Some idiot with his dragon book. Then, you know, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. You just need to be, you know, you need to know games. I still remember the, the height of kind of the bro dude game culture money yeah. wagon when a uh, for Modern Warfare 2 it was like Infinity Ward like after just having their egos exploded by the success of the first game we're just like yeah we're making the second game and we've got in this writer he's like one of the lead writers from I think it was like CSI or something 
it's written by this guy, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and it was this clear, it was clear like when you looked at what the game what the game was and what the story in the game was, mm. it was clear that they had this guy coming in and go, Oh, it's a writer from CSI, come in, come in. Well we've got this story here and it's got this is what happens, it's got this Aww. this thing, it's got this nuclear mess rockets and the submarine and and this guy must have just been like, Yeah, this looks great, yeah, I'll, yeah. And just being like you get the impression that a lot of those Hollywood dudes who got brought in on big projects were just like Take the money. <laughs> Take the money and nod yeah. at when all of these basically kind of overgrown kids tell you their story about how nuclear missiles get fired fired from submarines into space and then detonated above America. And they just go, yeah, sounds great. Cool, When's that check coming? Is it going to be next week or this week? I don't know. You just get the impression it's like, what was this written? I can imagine that. Was this written by them or was it just somebody... Because I, I, if I didn't know much about the games, I didn't really care about it, and somebody was like, we really want you to come and do this, I'd just, yeah. I'd just totally... If somebody had decided what the story was, I'd just be like, nod, tweak it up a bit. Cha-ching! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the thing no, is, no one's going to pay attention because it's a video game. It's fine. Yeah, the thing is, uh, some, you know, most of my favourite like narrative video games, are, they're not written by authors. No. You know, they're written by people who like... <laughs> yeah, basically just game designers who like and understand video games, but also have a basic understanding of narrative structure. You know, and if you have those two things... I mean, it is surprisingly rare to get those two things yeah, no, together. Yeah. I would like to write video games someday. I would like That's to do that too. That would be nice. Yeah. Is it secretly what we all want to do? I think so. Good, good. good. No pun. competition there. I don't know if I want to do it. Maybe yeah. a pun. It's like, it's like yeah. a mixture of my two favourite things, which is fiction writing and video games. I'd, it would have to be the right thing, I think. If, so, if somebody like if somebody got in touch with me and they were like they want, I think it would probably have to be something I don't know, a comedy thing or something. I don't know. If somebody was like, we want, we want, we're doing this video and we want it to be genuinely jazz funny. Punk. I haven't. It's on my list because I've, I've jazz heard punk. jazz punk is genuinely very funny. Extremely funny. Uh, Brilliant, yeah. absurdist game. It's, it's it's practically free. I think it's like a few quid. Who wrote it? Uh, I you know I had the name in my head a minute ago and it's gone. But it's, oh, it's, it, was, it was it was a, it's a, a I think he had a history in comedy. But yeah, I've right. been I've been really impressed by like the comedy games in the past few years. Like I've heard that's amazing. It's on my list. And uh, the Stanley Parable was just genius. And yeah. if somebody said to me, "We're making this. We want it to be really funny," I'd be like, I'd probably hop on that. Yeah. I think I could do that. But if somebody was like, "We're making this game. We need to have a great story," I'd be like, I don't know. My stories are probably quite like cliched and shit <laughs> no that's the thing I, you know I, I would be much more interested if anyone's looking to hire I'd be much more interested in doing you know dialogue stuff you know cause, <laughs> just the, say the, it the just... LinkedIn special that, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's Emily Garrett <laughs> no yeah no, dialogue is something that is like yeah and if you understand games as well, that's something that often gets a bit butchered. Dialogue yeah. well, see, and exposition. Okay, so you know. I'm playing, playing Persona at the moment. Something that's really frustrating me about it is that I can see where the translation is wrong. Mm -hmm. I can just see where it's not right because you know I, I was it was I had I lived in Japan for a while. I speak Japanese. You can do language. I'm, I'm not like you know you know mega good at Japanese or anything, but I can speak it. And the things that are wrong are things that I learned not to do in university when translating from Japanese. And it's like it's like did did your translators not learn these basic things about translation that you shouldn't do because it seems and it's frustrating because I just feel like if someone had given obviously me me or someone like me just somebody who can kind of you know who, who has a passion for games and that if somebody had given the script to someone who could have just tidied it up it would have been just 10% better and that 10% would have elevated it from really really good to yeah. and I, I see that a lot I used to see it a lot in the PS2 days oh, when God, yeah. lots of games were translated quite 
averagely or poorly and you know back then it used to really really irritate me and, and you know this what, game like, could be really interesting if you just translate the it sad thing is there. like having having worked on that side of the industry it just comes down to admin it's just a case yeah. of like that is just what well, they've made the game the game's already made the process of getting people to then translate and localize it's like basically the localization is almost by many companies well, back in the day, especially, was treated in the same way as like who's going to ship it. Yeah, it's the like, it's, it was outsourced yeah. to agencies. It's like it doesn't matter. Nintendo has a brilliant um, yeah. localization department, Treehouse. They have just the fantastic localization department. And whenever I play a Nintendo game, it's, it reminds me how good a lot of these really fantastic Japanese games could be. Square Enix are pretty good as well. Like mm-hmm. uh, the stuff they did, I remember just being blown away by Dragon Quest VIII when it's like it had loads of English accents. It was fully voice acted, mm. and it had like. Yeah, like they actually actual, had a really huge localization department in, yeah. in Europe. And it was like, this is incredible. Mm. All the characters have not only got like localized like British accents from around Britain that were actually genuinely quite good, but even the dialogue had been written like to fit that. And it was like, this isn't a shit job. It is good, yeah. I mean, um, maybe what I want to be is an editor. <laughs> Video game script editor. I can do that. I can definitely edit. It'll be interesting to see like how much more like uh, stuff gets put into that. Because yeah, you talked about like you know obviously authors aren't the right people for this, but you often end up getting that. It's why mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to me to be a coincidence that so many RPG style games end up having lots of books you can pick up and read. <laughs> and yeah, it's like I know yeah. people like some of that stuff, but I just feel like it's just like sometimes. It's just like, oh, somebody wanted to do loads of writing, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody had to justify their I'll write hundreds of different books. And I don't know, it's all right if they're really well written. Um, but sometimes you, you'd get sometimes one that's great. Rubbish. Sometimes they were terrible. Yeah, I, I thought in the Fallout is a game to, to, to go on about Fallout again, but that was really well written. It's it funny. was. It was understated. It was dark. It was well, really well I guess written. the difference was with like the, those games. Like you know, I won't bang on about them again because you're right. I bang on about the games, same games too often. But I guess the whole thing was with the core design of those games because it was so much based on writing. It just text. When they hired the people, mm-hmm. like a big part of their budget, which wasn't that big anyway, would have been like writers. They'd be like, right, let's plan yeah, Fallout Two. Have to what have do to we need? People to animate a hand. Yeah, like Fallout Two. What do we need? Artists. Okay. What else do we need? Writers. It wouldn't be like animators and then like, you know, CGI people, textures, and then like sound. It would be like writing was one of the most important things. And it has fallen off a little bit. But uh, yeah. The Phoenix Wright games are also very well translated. They're funny. They are. They're very well translated. As we talked, I think, in the past, they do a really good job of pretending... It might be me talking to Joe about this, actually. They do a really oh, no, good I job remember. We first, of first pretending day. that it's in America. Yeah, it's really me. Even though like, they're eating an onigiri, it's like, this yeah. is my sandwich. <laughs> that's like, like made of rice. It's like, <laughs> that's not a sandwich. Yeah, it's so funny. And they're always talking about the sidewalk and stuff. And it's like, you're clearly... There's, there's a brilliant bit. Was it the third one where they're literally in like a Japanese mountain shrine and they're like, this is weird. What's going on with this Yeah, they're like, what's what this weird <laughs> shrine about? Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's just a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the Colorado mountains or some shit. I don't know. It's funny. And the one, the one thing that's good about Persona Four is it's about Japanese teenagers in a high school set in Japan. They don't bother. They just leave in a bunch of random Japanese words and phrases. Uh, they just they leave it in. They're mm-hmm. like, there's no point trying to just pretend this is set in an American high school when it quite blatantly isn't on every level. So mm-hmm. they just and they actually you know teach you like if you didn't know about. You know, if you didn't know anything about Japanese culture, it would teach you loads, mm. which is cool. It's what I quite liked about uh, Catherine. It taught oh, me yeah. about it taught it mainly <laughs> main thing is I learned about that. Yeah, yeah I learned loads about relationships. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't fuck demons. <laughs> Spoilers. And, um, uh, mainly that uh, rum and coke is called Cuba Libra. Yeah. But hey, you know, it's not often I learn things from games these days because I learned about. <laughs> it's always good to know. I learned what all the different shapes of swords were <laughs> just, years ago. It just reminded me how much I loved Catherine. Was I, that I, 2010 or 2011 for us? Um, I think it was February 2011. That was the best year of games ever. It was I a, loved that year. It was a good game. Skyrim, Dark Souls, Catherine. There was a lot of other smaller my stuff. My trousers are vibrating like a bastard. Where's my phone? What? <laughs> Just because it started talking about Skyrim. <laughs> oh, Skyrim! Oh, I love it. I don't even like it that much. It's all right. No, it was good. 2011. <laughs> Not trousers vibration levels. Catherine was really good. I was, I was expecting it to really dislike it. Oh, I loved it so and, much. And um, I didn't like the game. Um, but I love the I love the rest of it I really enjoyed the puzzle. the puzzle bits I liked because I played it on easy and my brain kind of was able to work out how to do it so it wasn't too much trouble but the rest of it in between I loved that it wasn't a game about like you being like it wasn't like what decision you're going to make for your character no it was, it like was mainly in between just being like I loved it it made you feel dirty in a fun and bad. way it made you feel like a terrible emerging adult person yeah. who can't properly it would just be like this run thing their life like, hey great. you just play this bit of the game and it would be like do you ever think it's acceptable to cheat on someone? And it's like, it's just, a, it's a, this is just a game asking you a question. Like, it's not, it's not like, do you think Vincent, was you think it'd be acceptable for Vincent to cheat? It's like, it's just asking you. Mm. And then you answer the question and it tells you the percentage of people who've answered. That was very revealing. I was playing that with my partner in the room and I was oh, like, I can you leave that. the room please? Yeah. please? These questions? Because like, you, you, like, you yeah. hover over the button you're like, is this kind of cause an argument? <laughs> I don't know. I think because of the nature of the narrative, because the story was all about uh, you know fidelity and stuff. For and whatever growing reason, up, it was about it was yeah. about fi- not not growing up as in oh becoming a you become but going from a teenager maturity. to a young person, but becoming a young person to like a proper adult, yeah, like functioning of, member of society, adult, yeah. which is something that I mean a lot of people playing games are in their late twenties now, and that's something we're all thinking about a lot. I, I felt really I felt really compelled resonated. to tell the truth. Which is weird. Oh, yeah, I, told I wasn't just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. I was like, I would. Some of them, I really sat and thought. Because it really it. asked you. It asked you properly. And it's just like it was like it was it was diving into what you really and it it helped because I think that was so thematically brilliant because the game was about what it's like to think about what you want from life and what it's like to think about yeah. being being a grown up and maybe leaving some of the stuff you used to do behind and maybe settling down and all that. And it's it's asking you like straight up like how do you feel about all of these themes that we're talking about in this yeah. game. But without being super That's obvious. That's because if a friend of mine in the pub asked me that, like, if it wasn't somebody I knew very well, I'd probably just be really flippant and just ignore it. But like a fucking piece of data printed to a plastic disc asks me, and I stop and I think really carefully about what's the truth. That's mad. I think I could go home and play Catherine. It's really mad. It is a good game, but you have to. I recommend playing it on easy because I finished puzzles. it on hard. I oh, finished you, it three times. You're insane, Kezza. Yeah, you're insane. It was. I, I finished it in two days. I just got obsessed with it. I do this. You are. You're, you're mad. I got obsessed with it. Finished it. Started again on hard. Just I put, finished it on easy and then normal. And I got halfway through hard actually, and then I was like, do you know what? I don't need to play this. Good game. lord. But I, I did love it. That's genuinely mad. Yeah, I know. And on that mat, that that <laughs> bombshell. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, guys, on on Dark Souls uh, again. Uh, have you got anything you'd like to plug anybody or can no one be bothered Pop not particularly LinkedIn hires all those writers <laughs> there's, some, there's some very very good websites on the internet uh, that are about video games among them Kotaku yep. and yeah. Polygon and Polygon yes both both all right. some some pretty great people yeah writing for them there's so also a website go and look called at that. YouTube yes mostly I've heard about scumbags. that <laughs> But uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.